Hello and welcome to the Donmar Warehouse podcast. So pre-lockdown, during the run of Far Away, journalist Fiona Mountford hosted a series of panel discussions exploring Carol Churchill's work and legacy. After the show, on Wednesday the 4th of March, Fiona was joined on stage by director Dominic Cook and theatre critic Lynn Gardner. We didn't know then it would be the last real-life Q&A for a little while, but thankfully we did hit the record button. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy listening. Um, Dominic, Lynn, I'd like you please to start us off by giving us an opening statement of intent. Just a couple of lines, something for us to further unpick and unravel as we go along. What makes Carol Churchill so important to write? <laughs> you've, you've directed the plays, yeah. I've only seen them. Uh, both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Shall I kick off? Go on, you go kick on. Um, well, I would say there are two really outstanding features uh, with Carol. There are more than two, but two that come to mind. One is that she reinvents form for every single play. So there's no two plays by Carol that use the same form. And I think that's because she links form and content in a way that is totally. And she, my, I mean, she doesn't talk much about writing, but my sense of it is that she doesn't really start writing until she's imagined a new form for the territory she wants to explore. And that is so unusual. That's the first thing. And the second thing I think she's a, she's absolutely a master of compression. And actually, a lot of her plays are quiet. They seem short, but I'm, I'm watching this play tonight. There, is, there are so many worlds in this play. You know, the, the plays resonate and radiate out. And she, she recently particularly quite short plays, but they feel very full. I think that takes such skill. Um, so I think there, I mean, there are lots of other things, because she writes beautifully, the line by line writing is beautiful as well. I would say those are the two things. Brilliant, it's a good start. Brilliant. Um, I would say for me, it's about the fact that um, I always look forward to a Carol Churchill play because she never repeats herself. Uh, and I guess, as Dominic is saying, that is tied up with form. I think it's also to do with the fact that um, her plays, it always seems to me, have a very distinct moral vision and also a kind of moral authority about them. So uh, I think she's quite often known, isn't she, sort of within theatre, the people, you know, as the queen. And, uh, I, you know, I think uh, that that is an appellation that has absolutely been earned. Okay, so that's a great start. We'll, we'll come back to all these points, obviously. But now let's rewind quite a bit. At what point in your lives and or careers did you first come across Carol Churchill's work? And what impact did it have on you? Dominic, in an interview you and I did for The Independent on Sunday in 2012, right at the end of your time at the court, you said, she has always been a huge influence on me. I went to see her work when I was a student and I fell in love with it. It has always thrilled me what she is able to do and the humanity of it as well. So what were your first encounters with this work? Okay, um, well, mine actually is very clear and it was on the floor of Samuel French's bookshop in Southampton Street, where it used to be. Uh, and um, I was a student uh, and I read a play called Vinegar Tom. Um, uh, I have to honestly say, I did not read this play because it was written by Carol Churchill. I had no idea who Carol Churchill was. I read it 
because uh, um, somehow I knew or had been told that it was about witches. Uh, and that was what really kind of interested me. So um, as I did a lot at that time, I um, uh, sat on the floor in Samuel French's and I read play after play after play. I mean, God knows how they ever made anything. <laughs> That's uh, why they shot <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was, yeah. Uh, and then I remember after that, uh, uh, I moved on to light shining in uh, Buckinghamshire. And in both cases, I have to say, I sort of devoured these plays, and I didn't understand them. Um, and I would say that remains, in some ways, absolutely my experience. But it, of it wasn't an off-putting, not no, it was a no, curiosity. Actually, yes, it's a curiosity, and it's about the fact that you <coughs> kind of grope your way towards an understanding with the Carroll Church mm. play. So, student on the floor of a bookshop, Dominic. Funny enough, I realised, as you said that, that, the very first play of hers I read was also Vinegar Tom, which oh. I read, I did a course, I was at Warwick, I did a course called British Citizens in 1939, which was actually a great way of reading all of those, you know, from kind of, um, I suppose, the cocktail party, most of it's all cool. And we read that, we read that play. But I think the first time she had worked really resonated with me was when I was a student and I went up to Edinburgh, and there was a really great student production of Cloud Nine, okay. and I just thought it was so powerful. I mean, it's such an incredible play, it's so ahead of its time. The way that it, the playful way that it deals with gender and identity, and how hemmed in we are by historical circumstances, and it's, it's compassionate and beautiful, and um, I loved that. And then I saw a few other things quite in quick, in quick succession. The, the, the series Money was on what you Previews, I remember. There's a feeling which also I've had a lot with her work, where and this sounds a lot, I think, really great artists is they somehow articulate, articulate something that's big in your mind that you're realising. And, and I remember there were just these moments, because it's very topical that play, it was all about the city and the like a kind of orgy of greed that was possessing, you know, um, uh, that part of, of our society at that point, because you know, mid, mid Thatcher. And um, it, it was. Uh, it, Things were happening on stage, you thought that's absolutely, I hadn't noticed that before. You could feel the audience make those connections, and then there were various other things that I noticed all very soon after that, and that was when I became a die hard kind of so church. This lifelong yeah. love was both sparking as students' mm. minds full of, full of plays, and okay. Dominic, you've gone on the full journey now mm. with Carol Churchill from discovering her plays as a student to working with her so closely when you were artistic director at the Royal Court and staging so many of her new works. Can you perhaps give us some insights into her working methods? So, does she tell you, for example, the subject of the play she's currently working on? What, what's the process? Uh, no, but <laughs> when you're working with her, it's a bit like having um, another director in the room in a really great way because she, she, I think my experience of working with her is that she has some things in the plays that she's really clear about and, and she needs kind of delivered, whether images or moments. But a lot of the experience she's absolutely trusting what's there as if it's been written by someone else. So there's a there's a degree of kind of exploration that goes on, which is brilliant and exciting, which everyone is part of. And that's I think because my, my guess, and she doesn't she's never spoken about the process, my guess is that she interrogates, if she has an instinct about wanting to tackle a particular territory, she conceives of a formal device that is so robust 
that she then totally trusts whatever comes out. I mean, it's more than that, because there's a decision in it, but I think there's, she trusts the unconscious. And, and I think, so therefore, when you're working with her, she's able to kind of not worry about where something came from, but just what, wonder why it's there. So you're kind of all working together to try and find it. it it's, she, and she's there all the time, okay. right the way through. Because some writers come and go, she's there, in my experience, every day. But the whole process, and you're really working as one, it's been a great experience. And how much rewriting does she do? None. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there have been a few lines, pretty much everything we've done, a couple of lines, just really precise um, adjustments in sense. Right. Um, where she felt that something was ambiguous in an unhelpful way. But essentially, the first, the draft you are, you are sent or whatever, that is, that's, that's. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of discussion about it. Um, and um, and she, she certainly has clear. We talk about the starting point of play and okay. a feeling about something normal, something very contemporary, something that's yeah. happening at that time in the culture. I find this really kind of very interesting because it sort of strikes me that uh, um, it is both about the singular vision of the playwright mm. and that being very distinct, but also the way that you talk about her working and working within a rehearsal room. Kind of, it's only now, often in theatre, that we talk about working in that collaborative way and yet one of the things that's very clear about Karen Churchill is right from the very early days of writing theatre, theatre uh, Vinegar Tom was written for and with kind of monstrous regiment and uh, Light Shining in Buckinghamshire was written without a joint and part of a kind of through a workshop process uh, and it's kind of interesting I think about the way that that has then fed into everything that she does and the way she works in rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So she comes to every rehearsal so she'll be there all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my, I come from the kind of all cool tradition, you know, before I went there, right? that's the place where I was inspired by. And in that process the writer is all, is basically decides on who's going to correct it, is there every, you know, yes. like all the copy in the brochure and the images and all of that, they're part of, but actually what tends to happen and then they'll leave you alone for a bit. <laughs> Explore it. But actually, Carol keeps there with something. And it's not, one never feels. It's not a sort of. I, no, you never feel like you're under pressure to deliver something. Or, um, yeah, there's a confidence there. Now, this is a question for both. What are the most important things for a director to bear in mind when directing a Carol Churchill play? Why well, start with Lynn? I mean, I think um, I think it's about that thing, like about making it as easy as drinking a glass of water for the audience. Because I mean, I don't know about you, you know, as an audience, but I I think that there is something that can feel daunting uh, about one of her plays. That perhaps as a member of the an audience, that you sit there going how do I get a handle on this? And then for those of you who have been here this evening, that you'll see how between scenes that absolutely uh, mood uh, can completely kind of change. It's almost like a kind of conjuring trick uh, sometimes. So um, I think there needs to be a clarity. I think there needs to be a precision, which I think needs to absolutely um, match the precision of the writing. One of the things I think that's really interesting about the work is about um, 
like all kind of um, uh, great plays or, or great playwrights, there's a kind of, you know, the work is, is quite plastic, and yet it is also extremely precise. Uh, so I think that's that. And I think the other thing is absolutely stiletto-like performances. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I really agree with that. I think it's a mix of line-by-line -line precision and a sense of trusting the often kind of slightly abstract gesture. Right. I mean, you can't. You've got to be precise. You can't be literal-minded because she's functioning more. If you think of like a, a you know contemporary artist, yes, that the work you might go and see and say take off and is not is not literal.
necessary. So I, I think that's why there is a reason behind it for me for wanting to try new things. Well, you're using the word disrupt there, and Lynn, I, so those of you who bought the programme were in for a treat. It's a programme essay by Lynn in this production. And Lynn describes Carol Churchill as the great theatrical disruptor of the age. So that's picking up what Dominic said. I'll pick that for us and obviously do with the formal experimentation. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it absolutely is to do with um, experimentation. I think it's to do with a certain playfulness. I think it's for all the reasons that Dominic says. But I also think that you've got to remember that there is a huge body of work uh, which extends over almost 60 years, 50, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, almost 60 years from the radio plays yeah. in the early 1960s, uh, 60s, yeah, uh, 60s, yeah. Uh, all the way through. I sometimes wonder, and I don't mean this in a flippant way at all because of that, but is perhaps maybe she just gets bored, yes, <laughs> uh, and that there is something about the fact that you uh, just go, well, therefore I will experiment yeah. with this form. You know, uh, I will interrogate what is it that you can do with this box called theatre and how can I push it this way and that way and push it into different shapes. Surely it's time for the great Carol Churchill retrospective, isn't it? The great. When she, when she was 70, we did, um, we did a brief, well, I did very much, but it turned out to be brilliant because we did two weeks of readings of her plays, which were directed by playwrights. <coughs> so they chose a favourite play. She <coughs> just seeing the place, yes. which I think we did chronologically. Um, and there are some brilliant plays that aren't that well known or haven't been The said. first Carol Churchill play I read as a student uh, uh, was Fen, and it struck yeah. me, I loved, and it's not, I've never seen a production. What's that, for example? Why is that not done? There's so many great yeah. works that. Funny enough, that is quite often done by student productions. Right. Okay. It's a play that pops up there. But I saw the first production of that at the Almeida Theatre uh, in the early 1980s. Um, and in fact, the theatre at the time was nothing like the glossy theatre <laughs> that the Almeida is now. It was run by a young man called uh, Pierre Audi, who went off to Europe. Uh, and um, it had no heat in it. And uh, it's set, a Fen is set on the potato fields uh, in the Fenlands with women picking potatoes. And it was so cold that the audience could see their breath. <laughs> <laughs> but Cloud Nine, for example, which you mentioned, that's, mm. I think, my favourite Carol Church play. I've only ever seen it done once at the Almeida, about oh, yeah. six or so, eight years ago. Why is that not? Could it's really hard to say why some they? plays get, I mean, it's true, a lot of writers, there are some wonderful plays that uh, don't get celebrated, but also, of course, the tastes of the time changes <laughs> and plays feel more active. And one of the plays that we wrote this was about 10 years ago, the season, was a play with ice cream, which oh, I'd seen originally recording. In those days, it's like, they were rather ashamed that the play was something like 50 minutes long, and now that feels like quite a long play. Now. <laughs> um, but um, actually, it, it, it really landed yeah. because that it was like a kind of Coen Brothers road movie. <laughs> it had the, it had a kind of quirky wit and um, kind of surreal humour that felt very accessible yes. to to us now. It really was far more than it did when it was first done. And actually, I think it's a metaphor for the murderous relationship between the US and the UK. Oh, yes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the first thing that happens yeah. is these two sets of cousins find yeah. each other, and the next thing yeah. they've done, they murder someone. Yeah. 
interesting as they get together, but it really played rather beautifully. Yeah. But I also think that that's quite interesting because I, I think that there is something, um, again, I think I kind of in the program say something about, you know, as though she's got a crystal ball somewhere in, uh, uh, you know, in a drawer. Um, there is that sense, and I don't think that we can expect or, you know, in any way that playwrights um, uh, should, uh, you know, be able to tell the future any more than any of us can. But I think there is something about a playwright who can um, write plays and which it feels that their meanings and what they are change. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, sometimes it works the way round that it is that uh, we as a viewer take what is going on in the world and apply it to the play. But sometimes, and I think the Carol Churchill, that it actually feels as if the play itself has a kind of slippery quality yeah. about it, that it's a sh shapeshifter. That was something I was going to bring up with you both. Her work is often eerily prescient, I mean, far away, which you, a lot of you have just seen. For example, premiered the year before September the 11th and the start of the seemingly never-ending war on terror, not to mention before all the current talk of a climate emergency. But the play uncannily seems to prefigure all those things, doesn't it? It's as though she knew what was going to, sorry, exactly the direction of travel and everything. Well, now, I think we can probably sadly agree that Carol Churchill is somewhat less widely celebrated, certainly among the wider cultural public, than her male peers, Tom Stoppard, for example, David Hare. Now, why is this? Is this, once again, the dead hand of the patriarchy at work? Or is it because she's a somewhat harder commercial sell? <laughs> I think it's both. Both. I do, actually, I really In do. In equal measure. I, I think there is a lot of misogyny in the fact that she is not as universally recognised as she unquestionably deserves to be. Yeah. But I think you know, the sh you know, I mean, the thing is that someone like Tom or David, they, they have written these plays that run in the West End for two or three years, therefore they're seen by a lot of yeah. people, and that does affect the way things land in the culture. I, I, I think it probably is both. I mean, interestingly, New York adores Carol Churchill, and 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 when she Top Girls, it was done in London initially. It was a relatively successful, it was a huge success. It went to New York and absolutely exploded. Wow. And then it came back and suddenly it lifted. And then they did Cloud Nine, directed by Tom Tune, the famous song and dance woman. It ran for about a year. Right. And I think that there's a, there is a crossover in New York and downtown New York culture, which is uh, very accepting, more abstract form of theatre, which kind of somehow they but they're not like long run West End shows. They're more challenging. It did have a West End run. It did have a West End run. Because I remember yeah, taking my uh, <coughs> students to see it, and uh, mm. I think that version was the 57 minute version. Right. <laughs> and my students complained that they hadn't put <coughs> their money <laughs> I think the parade was longer in that. No, I mean, I think Dominic is absolutely right. I think it is something to do, actually something very interesting. This morning, just before I um, uh, left the house very early this morning, I uh, just looked through my uh, bookshelf and I pulled out a volume about post-war British theatre which was published 
it was an updated version of something that I think had originally been published in the 1970s, and this version was an early 90s version, and it made no reference mm. to Carol Churchill mm. at all, as though she did not exist you know, uh, uh, within the history of theatre. And I think, in part, it is absolutely to do with form. And I think, um, well, I think it is to do with the fact that she's a woman. Uh, I think there may be something to do with the fact that um, I think the last interview that she did was in mm. the back seven. Yeah, yeah and I think there is an issue around, um, you know, that expectation that playwrights explain themselves, yeah. not on the stage, but actually in print or online. Uh, yeah. And um, I think good on her that she doesn't kind of feel the need to do this uh, and lets the work speak for itself. But I think it may not actually do a lot in terms of your profile, yeah? And I think the other thing is, and, I'm so, and I think that's partly to do, um, I think, with my profession. I think there is nothing that scares a theatre critic more and the possibility that uh, you are going to walk into a theatre and discover that somebody is playing the form. Yes? Yeah. Uh, playwrights, I think, on the whole, who play with form, often use a kind of theatrical vocabulary that uh, critics find it very hard, particularly in one sitting, yeah. to get a handle mm -hmm. on. So Especially I, if they've got to turn, a, turn, turn it around. Turn it around, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of Carol Churchill yeah. plays I've viewed possibly when Dominic was in charge of the Royal Court, which were very short and very powerful, and I came out and thought, I really just wish I could watch them again now, however long they were, yeah. just to see them again, just to let them settle a little bit more. Yeah. You're, you're, you're constantly destabilised, you don't know, and yeah, that. But I'm interested, you both make the point, and misogyny is something to do with it. Is still that prevalent, is it, would you say? Well, I think so, no question. Yeah, no, we're going to... I mean, just as an observer, yeah. No question. No question. Yeah. You look at the way look at the way women artists are. You know, look at the, the number of women writers that produce. The, all of that stuff. I mean, it's it is absolutely true. And I think with Carol, I just feel. I mean, we had this big controversy about a play called Seven Jewish Children, which was, and I really felt it was very complicated that that, that play. It was, a, it was a play that was written in response to that bombing of Gaza. Uh, there is nothing in that play that. Whatsoever. In fact, it's incredibly compassionate towards the Jewish experience in the last 50 years. But um, I felt that the intense hatred that she received for writing that play was really 50% of the And if I'm going to be really blunt about it, I would also say that there is something uh, quite simply around that we uh, have many more uh, women playwrights, and that's absolutely fantastic. Dominic's completely right, <coughs> that if you look about what gets programmed, fewer plays by women do get programmed. But there is also something about the way that we think and talk uh, about female playwrights, and uh, <coughs> uh, which is um, often to do with them being young, attractive, and talented, that Carol <coughs> Churchill, who is older, attractive, and talented, <laughs> but does not fit into it again in terms yeah. of media coverage. 
funnest question for the sort of gender divide. I always remember I think it was by Lucy Preble in an interview saying people seem to find it a lot of male writers seem to find it endlessly baffling that I'm called Lucy and Lucy Kirkwood is called Lucy. This just seems to be beyond people that nobody's ever seemed to get bothered by the number of playwrights called David. <laughs> so that's um, around this issue, but let's think about it a bit more, I think. I think we can agree Carol Churchill leaves a lot more for the, a lot more work for the audience to do, to make connections, to make interpretations, than, than any other dramatist I can think of. I, I think that leaves the audience and the critics sometimes unsettled, doesn't it? Is that, is that, is that deliberate? No, deliberate I don't, I mean, my, I don't think it's deliberate. I think she's just trusting the material. She's yeah, I think trusting the situation. I don't think she's deliberately. No, no, I don't think so at all. I mean, I think that one of the things is, is that there is that thing as a critic that kind of we've referred to about that moment when you sit down in the theatre and you go, oh my God, I've got to write about this in, you know, like yeah. this time, uh, or, or whatever it might be. But I actually think that one of the things that um, I certainly, well, I think generally it often helps, but I think it particularly helps with, with Carol's work, which is uh, around the fact that if you stop trying to work it out, it often just kind of mm -hmm. makes itself seem to you. Mm. And, and I think, to be perfectly honest, I, you know, I think there's a sort of like feeling somehow that it might be intensely intellectual. Mm. Uh, and I think, again, that's to do with formal experiment. Mm. And. Um, the thing is, is that I think that often the plays get you here as much as they get you there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. that's true. You know, and that actually that you need to let it work on a subconscious level and just stop looking too hard. It's like on a slightly sensory level. Yeah, it's getting. Yeah, yeah. Now we've we've talked a lot about this, at the shape shiftingness of Carol Churchill's over. She, she's not a woman who repeats herself. But nonetheless. Can we start to draw out a thread of common elements that run through her work? Um, I think environment, environment. has been a, a long-standing one. And of course, there is the play, which I never know how to pronounce. Uh, the Scryker. Is it Scryker? Yes. Yeah. which I saw absolutely. I saw it at the National Theatre mm. uh, in... Um, mid 90s mm -hmm. uh, uh, done with Ian Spinks uh, mm -hmm. and um, again a kind of very collaborative kind of production with lots of movement in it and, that, and then I saw it at the Manchester International Festival a few years back with Maxine Peake oh, yeah. uh, absolutely extraordinary kind of almost immersive production and I think uh, that that question around the environment is something that she's returned to again to get, because I think in far away, without doubt, uh, you know, uh, that is something that you uh, can identify. It's completely true of Escape to Loan, an absolutely wonderful play at the Royal Court a couple of years ago uh, with a group of uh, older women talking in a garden. Yes, a sort of a kind of feeling of, mm. of yeah, impending apocalypse. Um, so environment. So I think environment is one. Dominic. Uh, oh, it's, it's, 
think with writers, it's so, so often like the fingerprint of the writer that makes them distinct, and it's, it's quite hard to define. Yeah. So this kind of atmospheric thing. But there are themes. I mean, I think I think uh, children, yeah. children yes. are often central. Yes. How we um, how we communicate and pass on often negative patterns of thinking to yes. children. And there's a brilliant there's just a brilliant scene <laughs> in the second half of um, Cloud Nine where the child played by a grown man, a little girl called Kathy, I think she's six, or maybe even younger, I think younger actually, maybe four, is played, in the first half everyone's playing the wrong yeah. gender, because they're all, they're all put into these um, categories, not right, and they're bursting out, and in the second half, so in the 70s, it's very free and loose, and they're all playing themselves, in terms of their identities, and then the only person who isn't is this child that is the centre of everything, and there's just a brilliant scene, so it's really, really carol where this child is just making a painting and just like making a, you know, an expression of themselves. And every time an adult comes by, they go, well, that's a nice train. And then they go, oh, that, I, I'm not, that's <laughs> not literally what I'm saying. They, they put meaning onto the image. Yes. And you realize how, and she was successful, because it's there in this book, <clears throat> it's there in, um, it's there in Top Girls, it's there in um, Seven Jewish Children, it's quite a few plays, where adults are trying to manage how they communicate a horrible truth child and therefore yes. pass something on. But I think she is a very family oriented person, She's very, very central mm -hmm. to her. I think it comes through. And the other is this kind of science fiction strands of her work. And that, that goes right back. There were there were radio plays from the early sixties that have this interest in where are we going, technology, how is that affecting us? And then these apocalyptic plays which are part of that a number and, and well a number is more is it's less dystopian but it's more that different kind of writer would have had a two year sabbatical and gone to Hollywood and written some trashy film for millions of dollars and then come back to the world. <laughs> there we go. Now, I've just been softening you two on these questions because now is the big question. <laughs> what has been Carol Churchill's impact on British playwriting? Vast, I would say. Uh, uh, it, yeah, um, you know, it may be that on one hand we're turning around and saying, why isn't she better known, better celebrated? Uh, but I think for playwrights, and I think for directors as well, but I think particularly for playwrights, I think the influence is vast. Uh, I think anyone, I don't know if anyone saw Blank last summer, Alice Birch's play here at the Donmar. I mean, I think without doubt, you know, Alice is very clearly a playwright uh, in which, um, uh, you know, you can see the uh, uh, influence of Carol Churchill. And lots and lots of playwrights would, um, uh, you know, uh, would absolutely say, yes, you know, she is somebody whose plays I devoured. Uh, and also, actually, I think there is an element, I cannot tell you the number of people that I interview in various contexts, whether actually they are directors or whether they are playwrights, who say, oh, you know, I was doing something when I was at school or in youth theatre, so I wrote to Carol Churchill via her agent, mm -hmm. and she writes back, or in some cases, rings them up. Yeah. Um, so, vast impact on British playwrights. No, I, I, I really agree, I think, if you really want to understand how much she matters in playwrights because yeah. there's half I can't think of one that doesn't value her and many really look to her as the as the guide. And I think it's partly her confidence.
must be incredibly hard. It's bloody hard to write like this. It's how to come up with this fully imagined three-dimensional world. And I think when you look at Carol, you kind of think anything is possible. And, and I think the reason why that's really important is that I think we shouldn't underestimate the fact that, in some ways, British theatre is quite a conservative mm. thing. Yeah? Uh, and that feeling that there is somebody already out there who is perhaps, you know, in a way, giving you permission to try and do something else and do it in a different way, I think is really, really important for every younger generation. You mentioned Alice Birch there, Lynn. Um, can we trace Carol's direct impact on, on the current young generation of playwrights a little bit more? I mean, I was thinking, for example, that struck me straight away, Lucy Preble, Enron, those puppet dinosaurs, for example, telling about sort of stock market collapse and so on. There a few concrete examples. Do you think, what do you, what do you well, think? Well, I, I, well, I think uh, David Tucker is yeah. really, yes. really, yeah. really hugely influenced by Carol, yeah. and partly in that kind of compression, uh, non-literal, Specificity of language, formula effectiveness. So she's done, but there are there are individual plays. When we did, when I was at court, this is actually quite a while ago, we did a play by Nick Payne called Constellations, which yes. I think owes a lot to some of those kind of fractured plays yes. in the middle of Carol's. Uh, I, I think he's actually said, hasn't he? Yeah, 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 that, yeah, yeah, that actually yeah. he would not have been able to do yeah. this without kind of Carol yeah. Church. Funnily enough, actually, in the middle of watching Lucy Kirkwood's The Welkin, I don't know if any of you have seen that, uh, that, and actually throughout that, I did think of Vinegar Tom uh, a few times, uh, you know, a, a very different play in a very different kind of context, but not just um, about the fact that it is about kind of women and a group of women, but also actually in the way that it used music, you know, that moment in the Welkin where suddenly you get the Kate Bush song kind of thrown in, and I think it's the same in Vinegar Tom, that the songs feel very modern, feel, yeah, uh, and I thought that was kind of quite interesting, yeah. To come back, Lim, we, we, we touched on this earlier, but Karen Churchill famously doesn't do interviews, and therefore doesn't engender any kind of cult of personality around herself in the way that some playwrights do. She is literally letting the work speak for itself, which is commendable and wonderful, but difficult for her sort of commercial and public mm -hmm. reputation, isn't it? I really admire it. I mean, I think you know, it is all about letting the work speak for itself. Very hard if you're interviewed to represent yourself. And primarily as artists, it has to come through the work. I think I, what she has obviously recognised is that there's a distortion of the meaning of the plays it was often, I really believe this, that you don't really know what you've done. I mean, what you think you've done is not necessarily what you've done. So sometimes, if, I mean, Pinter would famously go, and people say to him, well, what's this famous? You go, I don't know. And I don't think that's being disingenuous. I think there is something in there. Something has, has a life of its own. A writer or a creator can only understand some of it. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's the conscious mind. And, and I suppose you don't, want to, that, you don't want to deliver a verdict on your own work right. before you go, it's about environmental catastrophe, and it, it almost certainly Part is, but somebody it. else might go, it's about the political situation in Africa or whatever. You don't want to limit no, the interpretation, right. do you? Thanks for listening to the Donmar Warehouse podcast. The theatre has closed temporarily, but we are working remotely and coming to you digitally with some very exciting plans in store. Sign up to our newsletter at donmarwarehouse.com, follow at Donmar Warehouse on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and you'll be the first to hear about our latest online content. 
and we cannot wait to see you in person before long.